0: Bye. Hello. Thank you for choosing the Lacadaisical Liberal podcast. Without further delay, here is your host, Jordan Maywood. Hello! Welcome to the Liberal Cube. My name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the Lacadaisical Liberal Today, within the Liberal Cube, is book. A bowen yes, that is right. Liberal Kubricker list means someone who reads in bed and I'm going to talk about books that I read in bed primarily well at lunch too, or just waiting for things. Basically whenever I have a moment where I am not engaged with something else, I will have a book that I will read. That is just how I read. You thought I was going to say roll, but no, I don't roll and read, because rolling and reading is dangerous. The more you know. Something I say at the top of every show that I believe is fairly important on a book of a Wednesday is that there will be spoilers. I am going to spoil this entire book for you. So if you have not read it, take heed of that warning if you do not plan on reading it, well, hey, that's a shame, because it's a very good book, but uh, at least it means you can listen to this podcast with no worries. That's your silver lining. Another thing I like to say is that if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million bars of gold pressed latinum. No, that is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend, perhaps... You rate, subscribe, and comment in iTunes because that, my friends, is what helps others find podcasts such as this one. I don't know. Please and thanks. Oh, I haven't checked in maybe a week or so, but last time I did check, uh, I do still need two ratings within the Canadian iTunes store for my rating to show up to lookers of podcasts. Thank you to our uh, neighbors. Uh, of course I do, and by that, of course I mean um, Americans, although I haven't checked the Mexican iTunes store. Perhaps uh, people in Mexico are really, really enjoying this podcast that is in English and not Spanish. Hmm. But I digress, and I digress into today's sponsor, which is Bajoran Profits Savings and Loan. Once again, today's sponsor is Bajoran Profits, Savings and Loan. Let our profits protect your profits. Okay, if you have not guessed yet from various things I have said and hints I have given, today's book is called Fallen Heroes. It takes place within the Star Trek Deep Space Nine universe. Ah, yes, it's all becoming more clear. I, after quite often after reading a a long trilogy or anthology of fantasy, will throw in uh, just a a nice, brief, easy read such as this. It's almost giving your brain a a holiday. Uh, In this case, a very, very good holiday that I enjoyed a tremendous amount. Uh, I'm going to go four out of five, yeah, with definite some five out of five moments. Very, very much enjoyed this book. Uh, Out of all the Deep Space Nine books I have read, and I believe this is the fourth or fifth, this has been my favorite. The author, (laughs) uh, the author, his, I assume his name is David Abhue. I'm going to spell that for you. D-A-F-Y-D-D. Daffod? David? Is it a fancy name of spelling David? Uh, Quite often I've joked around that my middle name is Danger. However, it is actually David. So, His middle name is Ab, A-B. Interesting. And uh, last name is uh, Hugh, H-U-G-H. So, uh, an interesting handle. And uh, he is, I believe, an author of several... Deep Space Nine uh, novels in this sort of giant series and I also believe kind of looking around for info on this book he is one of the most respected and has in this series uh, quite often people's favorites are books written by this gentleman so that makes sense after reading this. So, why don't I jump into the book as I do? Well, I don't literally jump into the book because that would break the book. If I could sort of mystically jump into the book and be present during the course of these events in in any book, that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, I like that. The book starts out with a mysterious stranger coming through the wormhole. I have mentioned quite a few times, I am sure, that Star Trek Deep Space Nine was and is and continues to be my favorite of all Star Trek television shows. Uh, I think quite often some people do not have that same opinion, just because in the other Star Treks, they're all sort of traveling around, uh, traveling around space, meeting new and exciting people. Now, really, when you think about it, the only difference here being is that rather than traveling around, because it is on a space station, uh, people are coming to them with the aid of the, I guess you could even kind of think of it as a plot device of the wormhole that is attached to a very, very far distant region of space that is basically uncharted and unknown. So uh, it gives them an opportunity to introduce, with the push of a button, uh, basically anything they want that could just sort of pop through this wormhole, which I think is very, very exciting. Plus, just as far as the TV show goes, uh, they focused a lot, a lot, a lot more on character development and sort of their interactions between one another, I think more than any of the other Star Treks. So I think that's one of the reasons it turned out to be my favorite. The mysterious stranger that comes through in this case was very, very strange. Strange and mysterious, yes. Basically, something I've noticed in Star Trek-related books is they'll branch out into things that would be difficult to perhaps impossible to do in the television show. So, for example, the description of how this this alien looked, I don't think would be possible on television. Uh, you could use 3D imaging, but remember this is a TV show, so to spend that kind of money and have to complete it within a week is kind of unrealistic. So I think that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm digging these books in this series. I call it a series because I guess they're all kind of interconnected, Uh, quite often written by different authors, and there's like friggin', I don't know if there's like a hundred of them, but in the Star Trek universe of books, there is hundreds of different, uh, different things going on, different books. So in this one, the mysterious stranger meets up with Quark. Hmm. Quark who owns a bar, Cork, who is a Ferengi. If you are familiar with Ferengis, you will know that they are a little on the shady side, let's say. Shady dealings and Ferengi kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of go hand in hand. So uh, he buys from from this mysterious stranger a mysterious box. Ugh! Uh, a great deal of mystery, and I like it. What's in the box? As Brad Pitt would perhaps say, What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Uh Folks, I'm going to stop and get a coffee. So, um, let's just, that's a good spot to leave, because it's kind of a little tease. Yeah, yeah, I, I meant to do it this way. It's a little tease. What's in the box? Ooh. Come back um, in a moment and perhaps we'll find out. Same bad time, same bad channel, even. Mm. Editing. 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 On the road again. road again. No time for the full version. So, uh, when Cork has in his possession a mysterious, perhaps ill gotten box, who's gonna show up? None other than Constable Odo Head. Oh, security, four, Deep Space Nine. These two <laughs> Odo and Cork. Cork and Odo. It's like the odd couple in space, and they're both different species, and one's a criminal and one's a cop. It's like that. They are, some of my favorite moments in the television show are the sort of interactions between these two. So, as soon as I gathered that this book would be basically just these two and their interactions, uh, that perhaps explains my love of it and why there are some five moments in this between these two. One of my favorite episodes of the TV show is where these two are sort of trapped on a planet and have to climb a mountain together in order to uh, uh, send a distress call. <laughs> Just friggin' awesome. And this has some of that feel to it. Definitely easy. Easy to see that that sort of correlation between the two. So, Quark, using his thieving skills, opens the box, and inside is quite a head! Ah! Oh no, that's something else. Uh, inside is a device of unknown origin. Hmm. As quite often happens in science fiction, like Star Trek, there's unknown origin devices. This one, Quark, while in the presence of Odo, who's like, Alright, I know how you got this box, Uh, I'm going to be there when you open it, because if there's illegal shit, I'm taking it, buddy, I'm taking it. He didn't quite say it like that. So, uh, open the box, take out the device, Quark basically pushes a button on it, A little more complicated than that, but for the sake of this talk, we'll say he pushes a button. Which then, suddenly, transports them three days into the future. What? Time travel? That's not possible. It's science fiction, people. It is possible in science fiction. How about on that note, we have many notes in this one, on that note, Some of my very, very favorite Star Trek episodes in any series are ones involving time travel. So, again, just friggin' in heaven. Uh, Apparently, when they set off this device, uh, when it set them three days in the future, it also sent a distress call through the wormhole to a race of aliens that is extremely xenophobic. Uh, and basically wants nothing to do with, as they call other aliens, animals. Because, how about I just sort of spoil that a little bit, I kind of got the feeling, and it was never 100% verified, that they were kind of almost plant-based life forms. So, for the most part, human-shaped, for the most part. However, there was parts where it was like they were bleeding, but they were bleeding sap. And they sounded a little wood-like. I don't know, I just kind of got that vibe. I got that vibe, but it was never 100% verified. So uh, these guys come through the wormhole, come barreling out, and they are not happy. Because this distress call has sort of indicated to them that one of their own is on board the spaceship and is being held captive. Uh, One of the main things they hate is when when one of the members of their late race is being held captive by another. They do not like that. I suppose any race would not like that, but they really do not like that. So this is where the sort of book takes off, in that it will jump back and forth between uh, Odo and Quark in the future, let's say, and then the rest of the crew in the present. So, for example, basically a day, yeah, a day or so passes before these aliens show up. And they're like, okay, give us our guy, we know you have him, we got his distress call, hand him over, or else. Everyone's like, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, We have no idea what you mean. So... Rather than try to uh, reason with the animals as they see us, they beam over. They beam over uh, a bunch of, basically, attack teams and start blasting the shit out of the station. What? And killing people. Uh, I should mention that this author, Tafid, David, however you want to say his name, is pretty goddamn smart because he has figured out a way and... This is a spoiler, but obvious. Come on, uh, figured out a way to kill the entire crew of Deep Space Nine within the sort of canon of Star Trek, and yet have them come back. Okay, that's that's the the you know come on. It's it's not a, not really a spoiler saying that no, they did not actually all die, and this is the end of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. That is not really a spoiler. Come on, come on, people. Cut me some slack a little bit. Another sort of cool thing about these bad guys, well, there's several cool things. They're very, very advanced in technology. They have suits, suits of armor that repel phaser fire, so you cannot shoot them with phasers. What they have as their weapons... guns, (laughs) guns, <laughs> basically. They have guns. Um, chemically propelled bullets. So gunpowder and, you know, bullets. That's what they're using. Perhaps more advanced versions, but still, it is bullets. And it is gunpowder. And it tears the shit out of people in the station. So uh, that's what everyone's up against. The first sort of wave of security personnel who tried to go up against these guys just decimated right off the bat. That's when we kind of jump to where uh, Odo and Quark are in the future, because they come out of their travels, they come out of Quark's office where they were, exp- where they set off this device, and find nobody. Kind of all the lights are off. They notice the clocks are wrong. <laughs> they assume wrong because they are three days different from where it was seconds ago from their perspective. And they find uh, Corks brother dead. Oh, that was the first, the first sad death. He sort of shut the hell up. That's when they kind of start to start their journey. Let's say on piecing things together, trying to figure out what happened exactly. I guess uh, before I get to work, I'll get into sort of one of our first interactions between future and present, and that is when. Cork and Odo come across the schoolroom that is sort of blown to shit, unfortunately, because uh, Keiko O'Brien, who is Miles O'Brien's wife, runs the schoolroom. And she, uh, in an effort to help sort of her remaining students escape, had to sacrifice herself to stop these aliens from pursuing them. Uh, so Cork. Kind of how they did this was cool. Uh, Cork and Odo would be walking around, and then they'd come across a dead body, in this case, Keiko O'Brien, and then it would jump to the present and sort of tell the story from her point of view, how she died. Very, very cool idea. And it uh, kind of puts you... He kind of puts you in the brain of all of these people right before they died and how they died, so it's it really pulls you in quite well. Okay, so that will, I suppose... Leave it for now. Oh, how about just one final thing? And that is that these guys, these bad guys, are asking everyone before they killed them, where is the one like us? So that's sort of the, the terrifying uh, monologue shooting out of these bad guys' mouths. Where is the one who is like us? <laughs> they didn't laugh like that. That would be a little over the top. Folks, I will be back in eight hours and polish this off. I will say, though, as I do, love you, dearies, love you, dearies, love you, love I'm a fool to do your dirty working, working, working. And we're back. We are back. We are back. We are back. We are back. 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 We are back. Back in action. Hello again. Eight hours of work completed on a bookable Wednesday. However, in the real world, it is Friday. How about that for a little jingle? A little jingle jangle on a Friday drive home. Friday drive home of a long weekend. I'm doing a little behind the scenes. I'm allowed to do it. I do it from time to time. Within the Lubricube, Book Wednesday, within the actual real world Friday. Friday of a weekend in which I have a long weekend because I have used every single one of my holidays in such a scientific matter, with such precise and precision and other pre... And p- uh, way that uh, I never work during the entire course of 2013 for more than uh, two weeks in a row without having a long weekend. Yes, that is what I've done. That is what I am experiencing right now, the sort of giddiness that is associated with the long weekend. So what we're going to do, something we haven't done in a long time, is the Friday long weekend drive home primal scream. So if you are unfamiliar with this, let's call it a phenomenon, you're going to want to turn down your gramophones because I assume you are listening on a gramophone. And then at the count of three, I'm going to let loose with the sort of primal, pent up energies that have built up in me and it can only be released just prior to a long weekend. Okay? Are you ready? Three, two, one. <laughs> And that is how it's done. It feels good, and I was aware that it would. Let's hop right back in. Uh, I dilly dallied a bit this morning, so now I'll probably freaking run out of time. Uh, where did I leave off? Basically, the bad guys are on the station killing people. Uh huh. The good guys are fighting back, although definitely at first, with limited to zero success... Quark uh, and Odo are three days ahead of these occurrences, and we're jumping back and forth. So, let's start with, I think, probably what you could consider one of the first main deaths. Now, that's kind of mean to say, I just realized, for Keiko O'Brien, who sacrificed herself. However, in the book and the TV show, she, her, her, she popped in maybe, I don't know, a handful of times, less than five, if I had to guess. Maybe more. No, probably less. She didn't have a big role, uh, so the first main death we're gonna consider Kira Narice, uh, and it was sad. <sighs> I kind of knew from that point on that this book was gonna be a little different and a little darker, and it did definitely tread some dark, <coughs> some dark paths. Oh, that hurt my hurt my throat a little bit on that primal scream. However. Oh, shit, I did it backwards. <laughs> first death is... Uh, man, <laughs> that's embarrassing. I could I could edit that, but it'll go uh, uh, sort of towards proving that I'm a human being, and I make mistakes sometimes. Such as the fact that the first death was actually from Jadzia Dax. Oh. And then, obviously, Kira was second. Hmm. I did it bass backwards as they say. So, Jadzia Dax's first death was sad and a little uh, a little nerve-wracking because she was, uh... Oh, fuck! Forgot to mention Miles. <laughs> yeah. Forgot to mention that Miles O'Brien rushed in after Keiko's death and uh, blew the shit out of some of the bad guys. Without killing them, unfortunately, but uh, sacrificing himself. Because sort of the only weapon they had against them at this point was, uh, let's just call it phaser grenades. Basically, they would take phasers, and you're all familiar with phasers, I am sure, uh, set the phasers to overload, and then that would kind of uh, create a grenade effect. Not 100% did not work sort of as well as you would expect, because a lot of that energy is absorbed by these bad guys' uh, armor, so that's a shame. Kind of knocked him around a bit, but not too much. So, fuck, it's the whole time stream thing being messed around with has ruined my time stream thing. So first Miles, then Jadzia Dax, uh, her death, however, was not in vain because they sort of pieced together the sort of logical apparently conclusion that these uh, bad guys are more well protected in the front than they are in the rear as is quite often the case in armors which i suppose makes sense although does it like a bulletproof vest you're protected in both the front and the rear so uh, i don't know there's there's a certain logic i suppose in some armors that just protect the front uh, i'm sure they exist i'm pretty sure i've seen existences of armor such as that. So, uh, th- this was this part was kind of cool. With the same phaser grenade idea, Jadzia, in sort of her death throws, froze ha, 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 a grenade at the back of one of these bad guys. The only reason she was sort of able to get away with this fact was actually very, very cool. And the author, Mr. Tafiz, uh obviously knew his Star Trek... Uh, canon pretty well because Jadzia is what you call a symbiote. So it's basically imagine if you, a human being, although she is not a human being, had within your belly a worm, <laughs> a giant wriggly worm thing that you sort of that you sort of shared the body with. So when you die, the worm is taken out and put into a new uh, a new person and then the memories that you sort of built up over that lifetime are carried on within the worm. Uh, Brilliant stuff, and I love it. Hence my love of Star Trek. Ah. So, uh, yeah, what what I was saying was the reason she sort of got away with this tactic was she took a bullet to the head and died. However, the symbiote within her, although uh, dying, was not killed right off the bat, so and sort of its death throws through the grenade at the back, which then killed the bad guy, the first. So then Quark and Odo, three days later, stumble across this bad guy, and Odo kind of knows a bit of the lore of these people's. Uh, Next death is by Kira Norris. She, uh, if you are familiar with Deep Space Nine, she's a bit of a badass, yes. Manages to take out one of these guys and grab his gun, Uh, Very, very smart thinking, because obviously if they have guns and they have armor, it is likely and logical that their armor and guns sort of have kept up with one another, technologically speaking. Hmm? Like that thought? She kills a a lot of them. She does kill a lot of them, but is eventually killed herself. Uh, This is the section where we sort of learn that... Uh, when these bad guys are injured to the point of near death, their bodies basically disintegrate in a sort of flash, just because they are so, uh, probably xenophobic is still the right word, that they don't even want their remains to end up in the, in, the, in the hands of anyone other than their own race. Now, that might not be such a bad thing, no big deal. So, we don't have to clean up clean up the bodies, yeah. Yay, even. However, and this is a big however... We then learn that in order for Cork and Odo to travel back to the present, they need one of these bodies intact, because the device has within it, basically the easiest way to say it is it has within it a keyhole, a keyhole that can only be opened with um, a piece of one of these bad guys. Bodies. Yeah, that's not perhaps 100% accurate, but it will do for our purposes here. So first they go to the one that they stumbled across. However, in the explosion that killed him, the key is uh, destroyed to the point where it won't work. However, they do know that they're on the right track, so it's up to them to find more dead bad guys. Although, this is not an easy thing to do because they disintegrate when um, either killed or shot up to the point where they will die anyways. During uh, most of the last half of this book, uh, Odo and Cork have stumbled upon, once again. Well, maybe stumbled upon is not the right word that I keep using. However, they're kind of looking around for people and clues. Because Odo is a cop at heart, He wants to figure out what happened, so they're wandering around looking for shit, trying to figure it out, really. Uh, During this process, they come across Jake Sisko. Jake Sisko, who is the son of Ben Sisko, who is the commander of the space station, Deep Space Nine, along with uh, Molly O'Brien, who is, you guessed it, the O'Brien's daughter. They are shell-shocked, little uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And can't even almost remember how they ended up being where they were. So that ain't good. Because Odo and Cork need them to sort of fill in the gaps of what happened. It turns out that they are the only remaining people alive on the ship. Because Ben Sisko decided that the only way to rid the ship, the the station of this menace, was to sacrifice himself along with everyone else who might be alive on the ship. Uh, The way he does this, kind of, I don't know if the science makes sense of this, which, despite it being science fiction, I do like my science within my fiction to make sense. So uh, maybe you could tell me if you are knowledgeable of what I am about to say and know if it is possible or plausible, uh, let me know. You can do so to the address provided in the closing credits, or tweet at me, I would love to hear from you. Uh, what he decides to do is basically go to the power source of the entire station and let loose a, a electromagnetic pulse, or EMP, as it is quite often called. Now, I'm familiar with an EMP, and I know basically what it does that it fries fries electronics is one of the main things it does. When an atomic bomb is let off, it also lets off a EMP. Solar flares also will release uh, electromagnetic pulse, and it either fries or messes with electronics. Now, he believes that this pulse will be so strong that it will also fry the electronics of any living organism's brain. What?! So, uh, that, that's kind of my question. Can an EMP uh, exist that is so strong that it will fry your brain? Uh, I kind of didn't think that it could. I, I thought EMP only affected electronics, but does it actually affect biological uh, organisms as well? And if the biological organisms are not using... So, uh, yeah, there you go. Question mark. The only reason Jake and Molly are saved is because sort of right before he lets off this um, explosion that lets loose, that then lets loose the EMP. Uh, he sort of sends out to the station, to the bad guys, I have your man here if you want him, come and get him, kind of thing, taunting him a little bit. Also, kind of hidden within the message is a clue to Jake. Uh, a clue letting him know that he has to get to a shielded area of the ship, or else he too will be a fry. Okay, so that leads us near the end. Um, all of the bad guys sort of fell for the trap and are surrounding Ben Cisco, who has created a scenario in which basically he's going to let loose a shit ton of those phaser grenades at once, while right beside the the power core of the space station. So even if you're not destroyed by the grenades right off the bat then the EMP should take care of the rest which it does so that's it for everyone on the ship they're all dead even ones who had survived to that point with the exception of Jake and Molly are dead they're gone then Corkenodo come along and realize what had happened and realize that the only way they can get back and stop it from happening is to find one of these dead bad guys. So they head on down to where this explosion took place. However, it is a madhouse. A madhouse. Shit's melting. <laughs> That's a good way to say it. It's like as hot as suns within this area. Mm, surfaces of suns, perhaps, will go. But let's just say it's pretty goddamn hot. Uh, Cork can't go down there. Jake and Molly, they'd all be immolated the second they went down. However, uh, Odo can sort of take the heat to a certain degree. However, he gets down there and he himself starts melting. Uh, the reason he can take this, if you are unaware, is because he is a shapeshifter. And that's just sort of a whole other kettle of fish that I don't have time to get into because I am near home. So he's down there rooting around this hot-as-the-sun space station core trying to find a key to a time machine to send them back to stop all of this from happening. Uh, Surprise, surprise, he does do it. Not without losing sort of great chunks of his body, sort of disintegrating in the heat, but he does do it. Makes it back in time for uh, Quark to put him in a bucket (laughs) because at this point he's basically just liquid. Uh, put him. awesome. Man. Put him in a bucket. Activate, although with difficulty, the time machine, which takes them back to their time. Uh, the only difference is they—they're not taken back to exactly where they left. Left. They're taken back, sort of the same amount of time has passed in each uh, in, in each of the, uh, the time frames. So let's just say for the sake of argument, and it's pretty close to right, uh, 24 hours has passed in the present, and 24 hours has also passed in the future. So they go back 24 hours after they had left originally. I hope that makes sense. Sometimes, uh, I love it, but sometimes those time things, especially, apparently, trying to explain them is not too easy. But I hope I did a good job, and I hope you enjoyed this episode, because I did enjoy recording it. I did, call, I did enjoy reading this book. Uh, did I get my rating this morning? Uh, I think I did. Oh yeah, I did too. Uh, so, just sort of reiterate that it is a easy 4-5 with some 5 out of 5 moments. Uh, how about I leave you with this thought, that the end of this book, with Quark sort of steaming from the residual heat. His clothes had sort of burnt up. Uh, he was naked and had to make his way back naked from from the space station's from the space station's uh, operations center back to his bar. So, uh, that's a good place. And this picture in Cork, the Ferengi nude walk of shame. Yes. Ferengi Nude Walk of Shame. That might be the title, folks. That might be the title. Uh, One last thing to say, and we don't want to forget that. (laughs) It is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. This has been another edition of the Lackadaisical Libra Rist. We here in the Liberal Cube would love to hear from you.